I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, today as we study your word, I pray that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Lord, as we come to this portion of our service, let us worship you, Lord, with our minds. Help us to meditate on the word before us. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and in our minds to open up your word to us, illuminate us, and let us see and understand how to apply your word to our lives. Because, Lord, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to be like Jesus. Therefore, we want to conform to your word so that we can be like Jesus. So, Lord, guide us today. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to Deuteronomy chapter 3, or excuse me, excuse me Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13, we'll be looking at that whole chapter this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 18, and if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 147 in the Pew Bible, page 147 in the Pew Bible, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, then you can take that Pew Bible, and that's our gift to you today. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, it's very beneficial to you, so please take that and, and use it. So Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 18, page 147 in the Pew Bible. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. I don't really know who he is, but uh, he once said this. Tell me with whom you associate, and I will tell you who you are. The Apostle Paul put it like this. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Right? We are known by the company we keep. As Christians, the fact should concern us because it's, it's not just our reputation at stake, is it? No, it's the reputation of God. The reputation of Jesus Christ is at stake. Because as we live as Christians, as we profess to be Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, we bear his name. We bear his name, and so it should be a concern for us of the company we keep, not just because of their influence on our lives, but because of the reputation of Jesus Christ. Today, we are in Deuteronomy, as we've been working through Deuteronomy, and we move to the next subsection here in Moses' sermon. So Deuteronomy is a series of sermons, for those who haven't been with us, is a series of sermons. And Deuteronomy chapter 5 through 26 is one sermon, and it's on the Old Testament law, the covenantal law that God gave the people of Israel. So chapter 5 gives, lays out the Ten Commandments, and then chapter 6 through uh, 26, really Moses just works out and applies those Ten Commandments. And so we've been going through those, and now we're in Deuteronomy 13. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, 1 through 14, 21, 
In this section, Moses applies the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And if you remember back when we talked about that, and you probably don't because it's been a while, but when we talked about the third commandment, we said that the, the positive side of this commandment, not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain, is to commit to honor God. Commit to honor God, to uphold Him as holy and righteous, to uphold Him as honorable in the world. And one way that we uphold God as honorable is by upholding what is true and disassociating with what is false. And so now we come to today's text and we kind of see that same thing here in this text. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 18, here's the lesson that we're going to learn. So the sermon in a sentence is this, honor God by disassociating with falsehood. Honor God by disassociating with falsehood. And as this text will show us, sometimes it means that we have to disassociate with certain people in our lives. Sometimes even people that we love and, and care very much about. But we need to realize we either honor God or dishonor God by the things that we do and the company that we keep. We bear the name of Jesus. And so as we live out our lives, as we make associations in the world, we should honor Christ in everything that we do. So today, as we begin, as we look at this passage, we're going to see three categories of people that the third commandment tells us, commands us to disassociate with. So three categories of people that the third commandment t- tell us to disassociate with. So uh, as we begin our study, and we're just going to work through this. We're not going to read it because it's a whole chapter. We'll just read it as we go along. And so uh, we'll follow along as we go We honor God, then, by disassociating with falsehood. That means, first of all, we honor God by disassociating with false teachers. We honor God by disassociating with false teachers. We see this in the first paragraph of this chapter. Notice how it starts off there, Deuteronomy 13, 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the word of that prophet or that dreamer of, dreamer, dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now Moses here, of course, is addressing prophets, and we have to remember the context that Moses is preaching in. Moses is preaching to Old, old Covenant Israel. Moses is writing the Bible. He's writing the Bible. In fact, Moses, he gives us the first five books of the Bible, and that's it. And, and as he's preaching this, he is, he's producing part of those first five books. And so not all of God's Word has been revealed at this point. And so the way God communicated with his people in Old Testament time, and even to a degree in the New Testament time, the first century at least, 
Uh, he, he spoke to his people through prophets, people who heard God directly, right? They, they heard the voice of God communicating with them, and God would tell them, go tell my people, thus saith the Lord. And so we have the Old Testament prophets, and sometimes he communicated to them through dreams. That's what Moses is talking about there, dreamer of dreams, that people who would have dreams where God would speak to them and tell them what to communicate to the people, and sometimes in just visions. They would have visions of, of God giving them direction and telling them what to tell the people. This was even true up into the, the New Testament, at least the first century, because the New Testament hadn't been completed yet, and so there were, were prophets among the New Testament church until the apostles finished the canon, until they finished Scripture. And then after that first century passed, after the whole Bible had been written, that office of prophet and apostle, and apostle in that sense passed away. And, and so that, that gift doesn't exist anymore, that, that gift of, of prophecy, of hearing a direct revelation from the Lord. But we do have it in a sense that we have preachers and teachers who take the already revealed Word of God, the Word that God has already given us, and God has given preachers and teachers that ability, that gift of studying the Word and understanding the Word and communicating the Word back to you. And so that's, that's my gift. God has given me the gift of a proclamation, of preaching. And so Sunday after Sunday, I explain to you the Word of God and I help you apply it to your lives. And so when we think about prophets and dreamers of dream, dreams in our context, then we think about preachers and teachers and, and thank God that he has given us men who have that gift to open up God's word and proclaim God's word to us but we need to be careful we need to be careful because from the very beginning there have been false prophets false preachers false teachers who have gone out in the world in fact Jesus warns us of this very thing in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And so we realize that there are many false prophets, many false preachers, many false teachers who are in the world. And look, these, these folks are gifted. They are talented folks. Moses makes that note there, if they have all of these signs and wonders, right? If they're doing wonderful signs and wonders and doing all of these great things. You have to wonder if he's thinking about back to the, the magicians back in Pharaoh's court. I mean, they had some great signs and wonders that they were able to pull off. But they were false teachers. They were false prophets. Moses was the true prophet. And so it doesn't matter how talented a person is. There are many false teachers. They are talented teachers. They are talented speakers. And some of them can pull off some amazing feats, right? They can do some wonderful, at least it appears like, wonderful things. You've seen them on TV doing these supposed miraculous signs and wonders on TV. So you have that whole category, but then you just have some who are just very gifted speakers. 
They're gifted speakers, and they can twist things, and, and they can make it sound really biblical, right? You cherry-pick a verse over here, and you cherry-pick a verse over there, and you put them together, and you can make the Bible say just about anything you wanted to say if you group the Scriptures just right. And there's people like this all over the place. We need to be careful. Again, Jesus, he goes on to warn, Matthew 24, 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, that is the church, the saved Christians in the church. And there are many in the world, even in our churches, who happily go along and follow these false Christ and false prophets. As Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. Man, some of the greatest, most popular, I must say, I might say, most popular preachers today are false prophets. And they have a wonderful following because they're telling people exactly what they want to hear. God's Word is out the door. They include enough of God's Word to make it sound good. They include enough of God's Word to make people think, oh, well, this is a Christian message. He quoted uh, such and such Bible verse, right? He quoted John three sixteen. He's got to be a Christian. It's got to be a Christian marriage. He quoted the Bible. Fooey on that. What's their message? Listen to their message. Are they truly preaching God's Word or not? Some of the most popular preachers out there today who have a congregation of tens of thousands of people coming to hear them are false teachers. And they're leading people into the gates of hell with the falsehood that they're teaching. And quite frankly, you go to Christian radio and many of the people on Christian radio applaud them as they lead people into hell. Be careful. Be careful because false teachers are everywhere. They're everywhere and we need to be aware of them. So how are we to respond to false teachers? Well, Moses goes on to tell us a little bit. And we do re remember here that we are New Covenant, not Old Covenant Christians, but uh, look, look what he says here in verses 4 through 5. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Don't listen to them. Serve the Lord. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. How are we to respond to false prophets and false teachers? Now again, 
We are new covenant Christians. And so we, are, we have to interpret this through the lens of Jesus Christ. We're not Old Testament Israel. We're not going into the land of Palestine to set up a government. We, the church has not given, been given the authority to hand out the death penalty. Uh, that was Old Testament. We're not there. But we do see how this uh, translates into in the New Testament, and I'll share that with you in a moment. But first of all, we need to make sure that we test what the, the prophet says. Test what the teacher says. We don't just take a man at his word. We, we line it up with what God says. It's what Moses said there. You, you make sure you follow the Lord. You follow the Lord's way. Don't just take anything. Don't just take a man at his word because he says he, he has a message from the Lord. No, what does his word say? What, what is, how is it compared to what God has already revealed to us? You see, this book is the standard. This is the standard. What he does, what a person does on a stage, what he says, what, no matter how good it is, it is judged by God's Word. God's Word is the standard, so we test everything that is said by God's Word. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we must test everything. In fact, I've told you this before, and I'll tell you it again. You test what I tell you by God's Word. Right? You test everything that I say to you by God's Word. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll promise you, and I, and I give you my word, that I will always strive to preach God's Word to you faithfully and truthfully. But I'm human. I'm human. I don't want to make an error, but I'm human, and so I might err. So test what I say by God's Word. Test everything by God's Word. So we test the prophets. We test the teachers and preachers by God's Word. And then we disassociate from false teachers. We disassociate with false teachers. Moses said, execute them. But in the New Testament, what do we see? What does that translate to in the New Testament in the church? We see this come to light in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is dealing with a situation where a man is living in open, unrepentant sin. And the church has done nothing about it. He says there, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife he's living with his father's wife his stepmother and you are arrogant ought you not rather to mourn let him who has done this be removed from among you then in verse 13 on down a little bit in verse 13 paul quotes exactly what Moses says here in our text in Deuteronomy 13, 5, purge the evil person from among you. Purge the evil person from among you. So Paul in the New Testament 
as a New Testament apostle, he's looking at the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, and he's translating that, bringing it forward to, and applying it to the New Testament church. And instead of saying, no, you, you, you execute this guy, but no, he doesn't say that because the, the church isn't a governmental authority in the world. But instead, now the church, they enforce this by practicing church discipline. You remove him from your midst. You take him out. You, you, you don't associate with him. You, you don't act like it's okay what he's doing. You don't just turn a blind eye to it. You address the sin. You address the sin. And if he won't repent, then you have to disassociate. You have to disassociate. And we'll talk more about what that means as far as church members go in a moment, but, but that's what he's getting at. We've got to disassociate from that false teacher, that false prophet, the one who is teaching falsehood. So if we had someone here who was teaching falsehood, we would need to practice church discipline. But it's not just here that we're affected by false teachers and false prophets because we're in the 21st century and all of us have, well, most of us have, uh, most of us have iPhones and uh, all these kind of devices and we listen to podcasts and, and we, we have preachers coming to us streaming to us on TV and all of these things, what do we do? We don't associate with them, right? We, we test everything that we hear by God's Word. And if there's a false prophet, if there's a false teacher, then we take them off of our list, right? We don't listen to them. We don't pay them any mind whatsoever because their message is false. We don't applaud them because they, they've got so many people in their church and we don't uphold them as great and wonderful preachers when they're teaching falsehood. We disassociate from them. We call them what they are, false teachers. And we disassociate. You know, there are certain teachers that we don't allow their materials to be taught in our church. Right? They're popular teachers. Some of them, uh, even Lifeway, sells their stuff. And they're not allowed to be taught here. Their Bible studies are not allowed to be taught here. Why? Because they're false teachers. Oh, a lot of what they say might be good and great and right in line, but, but they ha have been known to teach falsehood, and we're not associating with that. So we don't teach their message so honor God by disassociating with false teachers. Second, and we move on up the chain here, honor God by disassociating, and this one's the tough one, with false family and friends. Honor God by disassociating with false family and friends. Look what he says there in verse 6. If your brother the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife of your embrace, or your friend, who is as your own soul entices you secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, 
from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your, your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him. This gets tough, doesn't it? Because now we've false prophet, false teacher, that's, that's that guy over there, but now you're talking about that loved one who's close to you. You love them, you care about them, and now they're teaching falsehood. Now they're spreading falsehood. It could be the case where they are actively denouncing Jesus Christ and, and don't want anything to do with Christ, don't want to do anything with, with God whatsoever. Or maybe it is they're denouncing Christ by not allowing the full authority of His Word to penetrate their lives. Because, you see, that's the way a lot of it goes today, especially here in the South, because it's, it's still somewhat uh, acceptable and even expected to be a Christian or associated with Christianity in some way, shape, or form, or fashion. It's becoming less so uh, more and more, but it's still kind of common for someone to be, call themselves a Christian. And there's a lot of people who like to take a little, little things of the Bible and they, and they want to certainly uh, say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but their life does not look like it. They're surely not conforming their lives to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. So though they may, they may, uh, they may proclaim Jesus with their lips, they're denying him with their lives. How are we to respond to that? Moses says we have to disassociate. We have to disassociate. And this is in line with the New Testament, by the way. Jesus tells us in Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, our love for Jesus is a priority over every other relationship. Our relationship with Him, it takes first place. And if there's someone in our lives who is trying to draw us away from our relationship with Jesus in any way, shape, form, or fashion, we're to disassociate. We're to pull away. We're to change that relationship. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, as Moses goes on, it's kind of like what, what he said with the false prophet, verse 9, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all people. You shall stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do such wickedness as this among you. So how does that apply to the church in this age? Well, first and foremost, you cannot, right? You must not accommodate or normalize a loved one's sin. Because that's what I see most in our society today. 
It's this accommodating, even though you may, you, you may not agree with what they're doing, right? They're, they're living a life that is dishonoring to the Lord. There's open, unrepentant sin in their lives. We all sin. We all sin. We all sin daily. We know that. But a true Christian sins, and there's contrition, right? There's heartbreak. Oh, man, I messed up. I messed up. And there's repentance. Lord, I'm so sorry that I did that. Forgive me and help me to protect myself from against that next time. Right? A Christian sins, knows he or she sins, and then tries to do better, right? Tries to pursue Christ more. And is thankful for the salvation and forgiveness that we have in Christ. But there are those who have no contrition. There's no sorrow over sin. They're living in open, unrepentant sin. That's what we're talking about, right? The one who is living in open, unrepentant sin, there's no sorrow for sin. There's no displeasure in sin. It's just like, well, that's just the way the world is today. And so I'm, just going, I'm doing this because this is just what's expected. This is what the world does. This is what my age, my generation does. And so I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to jump into it full, full uh, you know, wholeheartedly. And there's no contrition, there's no sorrow. That's what we have to deal with. It's the open, unrepentant sin. We don't normalize that. We don't normalize that. We don't say, well, that's just the way it is these days. You know, people live together before they get married. That's just the way it is. That, the, the Bible, that's just, the, that's archaic. That's outdated. So we've got to go with what the world says. The way the world does it. We've got to accept that. And people normalize it, and, and they go from everything, from living together before marriage to homosexuality to transgenderism. We see it across the board. People want to normalize sin. Well, let me tell you, and, and Christians, I often hear Christians say, well, it's just not the same world that we've lived in. The world has always normalized sin. The world has always normalized sin. Read 1 Corinthians Paul was dealing with some of the same mess that we're dealing with today. The world always normalizes sin. And the world always accepts sin as the thing to do. But we're to be different. We're to be holy unto the Lord. We're to be separate from the world. We don't accommodate and normalize sin. We address it. We bring it up. Even when it hurts. Even when there's a chance that that loved one will walk out of our lives and hate us because we had the gall to address their sin. You cannot accommodate and normalize sin. I remember a story not too long ago about a pastor who for years preached the Bible faithfully, truthfully. And he preached homosexuality was a sin. And he did that until his son 
proclaimed to be a homosexual. And then all of a sudden, he began to translate the Bible differently. He began to interpret the Bible differently. And he accommodated his son's sin. And let me tell you, he did his son no favors. He did his son no favors. We cannot normalize sin. We cannot accommodate sin. But we must disassociate from sin, and in this case, through church discipline. Now, let me be clear. That doesn't mean you stop loving that person. It doesn't mean that you cut off all relationship with that person. That's not what we see here. But you do treat that person like an unbeliever. Because that's what that person is acting like they are. That's what he is acting like he is. Or she is acting like she is. She's acting like she's an unbeliever because of the lifestyle that he or she is choosing. So we have to practice church discipline. And yes, mama and daddy, brother, best friend, you're the one who starts the process. What does church discipline look like? What is that all about? Well, we see that in Matthew. Jesus tells us, kind of gives us the layout of church discipline. Now that goes, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault. Right? Address it. Don't accommodate. Don't normalize. Don't just brush it off. Go and tell him his fault. Go address the sin between him, you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Praise the Lord. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Now you bring some, some help. You recruit some good godly help that every charge may be established on the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then you take it to the next level. You tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So first we address the sin. We go to that loved one and say, you're living in sin. The Bible says this is the right way. This is the moral way. This is how God designed us to function and to operate in the world. This is what we're to conform to. You you take them, you show them in Scripture. You're, You're not just, hey, you stop that. No, you you speak the truth in love. You're going in love and you're saying, God's Word. God tells us this. And you're doing this other thing. You address the sin. If they won't listen to you, then you take help with you. You take a preacher, a deacon. You take uh, another loved one who who knows the Bible and and you go together and you you try to speak some uh, truth in love again. Then you take it to the church. 
If they won't repent, if they refuse to repent, then the church has to treat them like an unbeliever. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we just, we block them, stop them at the door, oh, you can't come in here? No, that's not it. No, we want sinners in, right? We want sinners to come in and and to hear God's word proclaimed. We want them to be under the influence of, of the Lord. We want that. And so we don't block them out. We, we want them to come in. They're welcome to come in. But now they, they can't participate in certain things. Right? You're, you're, you're acting like an unbeliever, so we're going to treat you like an unbeliever. You can't participate in the Lord's Supper. That's A number one. You can't be in a position of leadership. You can't teach a Sunday school class. You can't lead a Bible study. You, you, you can't be a deacon. You can't do certain things because you're acting like an unbeliever. So we've got to treat you like an unbeliever. We love you and we want you here. We want you to hear God's word. But we're going to treat you like you're an unbeliever. And it's hard. It's hard because we don't like conflict. And what if they leave? What if they go down here to this other church and that other church, that'll take them no matter what they do and and they can just live out and live in sin and and no problem. Well, that's that other church's problem. We've got to live by God's word. We've got to uphold God's word. Now, look at the purpose of church discipline. I want you to notice this. I want you to see this because church discipline is not just to kick someone out. It's not just to hurt someone's feelings, but the whole purpose of church discipline, we see part of it here actually in our our text in Deuteronomy. Notice what Moses says in verse 11, and all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. It is preventative, right? As the church practices church discipline, it's preventative. Because we don't want other people to fall into sin and to follow that course. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if you allow sin to continue in the church unaddressed, well, then it spreads to more and more and more. So it's preventative, but it's also for the purpose of repentance. It's for the, out of love for that loved one who's living in sin. 1 Corinthians again, 5, 3 through 5, Paul says, For though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing, who's living with his father's wife. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The whole purpose, Paul says, is is for that person's soul. We want that person to repent, to see, see the seriousness of their sin. And turn away from it. And get back in a right relationship with the Lord. So all of this is not to be mean or cruel. But it is an act of love. We want our loved ones to have a good relationship with Jesus Christ. We want them to be sound in their faith. We want them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so we have to address 
sin. Imagine, if you will, imagine if you walked into a room and your three-year-old child is standing there holding a loaded gun, playing with a loaded gun. What would you do? Would you say, oh, you know, if I go over there and I snatch that thing away, if I take that gun away from him, he's going to boo-hoo, he's going to cry, it's going to hurt his feelings, so oh, I'm just going to let him leave, leave him alone. And maybe everything will work out for the best. Maybe he won't pull the trigger. Maybe he won't shoot himself. Is that what you say? Of course not. No person in their right mind would do that. You would run over there. You would grab that loaded gun out of that child's hand. No, no, this will hurt you. You would warn him, this will hurt you. Do not play with this. Why is it then, when we see a loved one living in sin, we're afraid to address it because, oh, we might hurt their feelings. We should be running to them. This will hurt you. It will destroy your spiritual life. It will wreck your relationship with Jesus. Get away from it. Get away. Get away. Repent and turn to Jesus. If a loved one is living in falsehood, living in sin, we don't just look over the sin and hope that everything will work out for the best. We speak the truth in love. And even if it means disassociating with that person for a while so that they might repent and return to the Lord. We honor God by disassociating from falsehood, from false teachers, even false loved ones. And third, we honor God by disassociating with false churches. We honor God by disassociating with false churches. Here we go down to the next paragraph. And again, we're New Testament, New Covenant Christians, not Old Covenant Israel. So we have to read this through the lens of Jesus Christ. If you hear in, your, in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you, and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true and certain, and certain that such an abomination has, taken, has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting them to destruction all who are in it and its cattle, with the edge of the sword you shall, you shall gather all its spoil into the midst of its open square and burn the city and its spoil with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand that the Lord may turn from uh, from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as he swore to your fathers if you obey the voice of the Lord your God keeping all of his commandments 
that I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord your God. How do we apply this to our situation today as a New Testament church? Well, let me tell you, there are a lot of false churches out there, right? There's these scoundrels who have led them astray. There's false teachers who are preaching a false message and they're building up churches. And again, some of the most popular churches, some of the most, if you will, thriving churches today are teaching falsehood. They're teaching falsehood. They're teaching a false gospel. They're leading people away from Christ instead of leading people to Christ. And we need to be aware of these churches. Now, especially as Baptists, we believe in the autonomy of the local church. And so... Bonita Road doesn't come over here and try to tell us how to operate things here at First Bastrop, and we don't go to Bonita Road and try to tell them how to do things, right? We, we're, we believe in the autonomy of the church, but we do have these associations. We have these associations that we, we, we are in. We, we unite with certain churches and certain works. And of course, in our age and time, we we listen to certain churches out there, and we're affected by their ministry. Some of these churches are producing uh, materials, Bible study materials. Some of these churches are producing uh, songs, especially songs. They are te- producing Christian music. And so we associate with them even through that. So what are we to do? What do we do when we hear that this church over here is teaching a false gospel? Well, just like Moses said here, we search diligently. We don't just take it at at its word. We don't just take in the gossip and say, oh, okay. No, we search diligently. We look at that church. We investigate. We do that in our local association. Uh, We have a local association of Baptist churches, and we have a credentials committee. And if we hear that a local Baptist church in our association is, is off the rails, then the credentials committee will investigate. As we hear about churches, we investigate, we do diligence, right? We we research and we make sure that accusation is true. And if it is true, what do we do? We disassociate. We disassociate. We don't uphold them as as doing wonderful things. Now we that's a false church. And we recognize them as a false church. If they're producing materials, we don't buy their materials. If they're producing music, we don't buy their music. And Moses kind of gets to that too. You gather all their stuff. You don't, you don't take in their stuff. You take all that they have and you burn it, right? We don't benefit from what they're producing or we don't take in what they're producing. Now, that's a big issue these days. That's a big issue, especially when it comes to Christian music. Because the majority, I would say, at least half, I I don't know, I don't listen to those stations much anymore because I've just kind of, just some of the things they do, I just don't listen to them anymore, to be honest with you. But a lot of what you hear on the Christian music stations today, the music there, a lot of it's coming out of churches that are preaching a false gospel and a false message. The Christian songs that are on top of the charts are coming from false prophets at false churches teaching a false gospel. 
And so we don't sing their songs here. We've dug into it, right? There, we, we sung some of them before, but we dug into it. We did the research, and, and we, found the research, we found the accusation to be true. And we don't sing their songs anymore because we don't want to pay royalties to that church who's proclaiming a false message and sending people away from Christ instead of to Christ. I don't listen to them. I don't want to listen to that anymore because I don't want to be associated with falsehood. It's hard. It is hard. Because, you, you, like I say, you turn on the, the Christian radio station and, and hear their accolades. Oh, aren't they doing a wonderful job? Oh, aren't they just great and wonderful? Yet, when you go listen to their messages that they're putting out on the Internet, it's false. They're leading people away from Jesus Christ, preaching health and wellness and all of these other just outrageous gospels. We disassociate. We honor God by disassociating with false churches. We cannot, we cannot uphold the glory of God if we are associating with falsehood. Honor God by disassociating with all falsehood. Uphold truth. Seek truth. Proclaim truth. Live in truth. And once upon a time, long before I was a preacher, I had a group of friends that I didn't act very well around them. My life when I was with them was not honoring to God. And one day, God made me realize that. And I had to disassociate. I had to change friend groups. I love some of those guys. But I had to get away from them. Because one, they were dragging me into sin. And two, because I was a Christian... I was bringing disgrace to the name of Jesus Christ. And I still loved them. And when they needed help, I was there to witness to them, to show them the love of Jesus. But our relationship had to change. I wonder today if there's someone in your life that you need to disassociate from. Someone who's living in sin. Someone whom, when you're around them, they drag you down. Someone that your association with them brings disgrace to the name of God. Maybe today you need to make that decision to disassociate, to distance yourself. Not stop loving. Not stop caring. Not stop witnessing to them. No, you do all of those things. But now you've got to set up some boundaries. Now you've got to say, we'll, we'll have our, our friendship will go this far, but no further. Set up those boundaries. Perhaps you're living today, you're living in falsehood. You're living in falsehood. You're living in sin. 
Maybe you're living in sin because you've never come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You've never made Him king over you. You're sitting on the throne. And you're living in falsehood. Let me tell you, you're never going to honor God when you're living in sin, living outside of Jesus Christ. But today, that can all change. Because Jesus died on the cross for you. To redeem you from your sin. And if you trust in Him, and surrender your life to Him, He will send the Holy Spirit to transform your desires, your wants, so that you'll begin to want to be like Jesus. And then you will honor God. We only honor God when we're in Jesus Christ. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus today. He will redeem you and give you a life that honors and glorifies God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this word, even though it's, it's a hard word to hear. Lord, especially when it comes to dealing with loved ones who are living in open, unrepentant sin. They're far from you. And Lord, how do we deal with that? Lord, we don't deal with it by turning a blind eye. But you tell us we've got to address the sin. And we've got to point them to Jesus. So, Father, let us be strong. Give us strength, even in our weakness, to do the things that you have called us to do. And, Lord, I know everyone in here probably has a loved one, maybe even in their mind right now, who's living in sin. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would turn the heart of that loved one. Let them see their sin and let them look to Jesus. Lord, if there's any today who are living in falsehood, living in sin, they've never turned to Jesus and accepted the salvation that you offer in him. Lord, I pray today you would turn their hearts, turn their hearts to look to Jesus and be saved. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.